Now, we understand that no one in here today is praying for patience, right? I mean, anybody praying for patience? If so, stay away from them, all right? Just like, we know in the Christian life, like, that's just kind of one of those steer away type prayers. Like, don't pray for patience because God will give it to you, right? It's like, oh, that's not really what I meant. So we, we all know that this is kind of a prayer, but we kind of are reminded in James chapter 1. Remember, he says that, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or a variety of trials, is what the words there mean. So he says, find joy in the middle of all of your trials. And then he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that it may be perfect and entire, that you, ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So we know that verse, and some of us have it memorized, and unfortunately, some of us had to, have had to claim that. Let patience have her perfect, her complete work in us so that we can come forth as being mature, so that we can come forth as growing and not lacking anything in our spiritual walk. Well, here, Naomi and Ruth did not have the book of James to carry under their arm as they traveled from Moab to Bethlehem. They did not have the book of James to flip through as they suffered through their husbands dying. They did not have the book of James to be encouraged by so that their faith is going to be proven, stretched, and that in the midst of this, they can find joy. But today, we do. We do hold in our hands these wonderful truths that help us to learn from patriarchs past, from heroes of the faith, from people who have suffered and gone through difficulties, and we can learn the crucial lesson that difficulties do develop depth. They do put our root system grounded firm and deep, and we can be rooted in God's foundation and find ourselves to be stable in Him. But... Today, when we look at these crucial lessons that we are taught by the response from Ruth and Naomi, I think there's some things that really jump out off the pages that we must remember in difficult times. In verses 16 and 17, even going into verse number 18, Ruth is going to teach us that we must remember in the difficult times that God is sovereign and steadfast. You see, Ruth's answer is a classic expression of faithfulness. She declares her undying devotion to Naomi, and she refuses to leave her now or really at any time. She says, not only am I going to go with you and your people become my people, and where you lodge, I will lodge, your God becomes my God, but she even says, where you die, I will die. And, and if anything separates us except for death, may, may that judgment come on my life. That is a, a statement of faithfulness she is stay, saying here she is, she is refusing to leave. So when Naomi finds that she has made up her mind, I love how verse 18 puts it, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, made up her mind, then she left speaking unto her. So like, okay, well, let's go. And you can find these two women traveling together from Moab to Bethlehem, doing their chitter-chatter, their talking along the way. She wants Naomi to stop asking her to leave. She affirms her determination to, to go, to leave her own people, and to go to God's people. Her decision had religious implications too, for she was making this commitment to Yahweh and to leave the false gods of Moab. This is huge because Ruth, unknowingly at this point, is going to become into the line of David. She's going to be great-grandma Ruth to David who is in the line of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
And so this is all changing for her in the next several verses. By Ruth's commitment, she's saying God is sovereign, God is steadfast, even though she may not know what all of that means and what that's going to look like. Ruth, unknowingly at this point, she is looking to this Yahweh, looking to God, her Lord, in which she had already indicated in saying that this is going to be something that she claims as her own. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, we'll see this in a few weeks, she said, the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord, thy God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Naomi says, your God, who you have come to trust, he will cover you with his wings. This is your God. So this was going to be life-changing for her. Her trust may not have been well-informed at the time, but it was real. It was genuine. Have you ever known somebody like that? Like they fully commit to something even though they don't know the details? Maybe some of you have done that before. Like, oh, I'm all in. Count me in. You're like, they're like, well, hold on. Do you want to see the fine print? No, 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 no. I don't need to see the fine print. I am all in. And then when something goes wrong, you're like, dude, where's the fine print? I didn't know any of this was going to happen this way. Like, this did not work out like I thought. I said, well, I tried to warn you. Well, Ruth doesn't have all the information, but it's very genuine. What one scholar said is her views of religion might not be clear, but it is evident that a principle of vital godliness was rooted in her heart and powerfully operative in her life. In fact, she acted in perfect conformity with that injunction that was afterwards given by our Lord when he would say, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So here's Ruth, thousands of years before the Messiah comes, before Jesus would proclaim, if you want to be a follower of me, then you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and then you can follow me. Ruth is literally living that out. She is saying, I'm leaving my people, I'm leaving my family, I'm leaving everything that is anti-Yahweh, everything that is anti-God, I am going to leave behind. And she says, I will follow after you. This is even when Naomi is saying, my God has dealt with me bitterly. Uh, my God has afflicted me. Hey, you ladies, just go home. Orpah, you go home to your mother's house. Hey, Ruth, you do the same. And just leave me alone, and I'll go back, and I'll figure things out. And, and Ruth is saying, no, quit asking me, quit begging me. I am going with you. In our lives, God is constantly acting and directing, or directing us through uh, experiences and knowledge. Some of you have some experiences in life with disappointment. The question we must ask ourselves is, how do I generally cope with disappointments? What has become my pattern of response with disappointments in my life? There are some of you, if we had knee-to-knee conversation at a coffee station, drinking our coffee, looking face-to-face, and hearing each other's story, some of you could list one disappointment after another. Some of you could share heartache, Some of you can share some really crises and tragedies in your life. Some of you have some hurt and pain that you're still carrying with you today. And so I have no doubt that we've all faced some difficulties and disappointments. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do I generally, what's my norm, what's my MO in responding to disappointments? Sometimes our natural way of response is to become closed or to become angry, or to, uh, to really shut everybody else out. Sometimes our natural response is to question God immediately. Uh, sometimes our natural response is going to become insecurity. 
we have to ask also this question, what obstacles in our life seem to consistently get in our way from trusting in God's sovereignty and his steadfast actions in our life? There are obstacles in our lives that keep us from trusting in his sovereignty because we say, God, I know you're writing my script and I'm kind of writing my script. And when I compare the two, they don't really match up. And, uh, and God, I, I, I know you know what's best for me, but you know what? I think I do too, so I'm going to kind of go this way for now. And I, I know your grace will capture me at some point, bring me back, but I've really got to do this right now. There's something inside me. There's just something that's pushing me that way. I mean, that guy has promised to love me. That girl seems to honor me. Or, or you know, my parents don't know as much as I thought they did. Or um, people that are counselors in my life, they're coming at weird angles. Or I know that, that, that I'm supposed to be able to find your perfect will and direction through your word, but, but I'm just not, nothing's jumping off the pages. And so God, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do this. And we've, we've really cut out the whole Proverbs 3, 5, trusting in the Lord with all of thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. And so what are the obstacles in our life today that are keeping us from trusting in God's sovereignty? That means his timeline. Trusting in God's sovereignty. That means his hedge of protection. Trusting in God's sovereignty. That means his powerful acts that are directing in our life. So what obstacles do you need to rid of? In verse 19 and 20 we would also see that uh, we must remember that the difficult times, that God may be hidden, but he's always working. You see, in verse number 19, so the two went until they came to Bethlehem. Now, the story glosses right over the trip. Can, can you imagine the conversation from Moab to Bethlehem? Naomi says, all right, Ruth, I, hey, I won't ask you to stay. I won't ask you to go to Moab. Let's go on. The conversation along the way probably insecurities. Naomi's wondering what the response will be when she returns to Bethlehem. Not only that, but the, the apprehension, not knowing where she'll turn for supplies or where she'll lodge or what she'll do. Maybe there's the anxious spirit. There's fear. There's doubt. There's this insecurity. It's, it's really the same struggles that we face in the middle of our difficulties. So put yourself beside Ruth and Naomi traveling from Moab to Bethlehem, and in your difficulty, you sense the same emotional feelings, insecure, doubt, anxiousness, apprehensive, fearful. That's what life is like going into the unknown, by the way. That's what it's like taking one step at a time, waiting for God to lead you and direct you. So as the pair journeyed, until they came to Bethlehem. As they approach Bethlehem, there's a, there's a buzz in the city. You can see in verse number 19, it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, is this Naomi? Now you'd say, wow, the whole city of Bethlehem. One of the things that we can see when we study these, these words here in the Hebrew is, the, is going to be the gender that they refer to, and the word they is referring to the, the feminine gender, and so it's speaking of the women. So it's the women who notice Naomi's return, and it's the, it's the women who talk. One Bible scholar put it this way. He said, it's the, all the gossips were saying, is this Naomi? 
So you can imagine they walk into Bethlehem, they're in the gates there, they walk by the men of the front gates, and they come into the city, and all the women notice. That looks like Naomi, but it's been 10 plus years. Is that really Naomi? Who's with her? That looks like a Moabitess woman. And so all of a sudden, this talk begins. They do ask the response, is that you, Naomi? Notice how quickly she responds, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. She says, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. What Naomi could not understand was that God is always at work, even in the mundane activities. Also, Naomi has to remember that um, she and Elimelech are the ones that walked away from God's people and God's blessing to go to the enemy of God, to go into Moab and to to stay for a little while, which became a, a lasting effect, which then 10 plus years later. You know, our lives are filled with interruptions, inconveniences, frustrations, and unexpected events in our life, aren't they? Let me list that again. How many of you ever face interruptions, inconveniences, frustrations, and unexpected events? You're like, that's my life, you know? That's my to-do list Monday through Friday this next week. Things break, accidents happen, the phone rings when we climb into bed, traffic makes us late. Just when we we don't need another added expense, one of the appliances breaks, and we're like, it was just on my, it was on its last leg anyway. You know, I always thought it was weird when the dryer would go back and forth, but I thought it could last another 10 years. (laughs) We have unexpected illnesses that change our carefully crafted plans. How many of you have ever been on vacation, well laid out, well planned, and you're getting ready for a big day on vacation, and all of a sudden... 1.30 1.30 in the middle of the night, you hear, <laughs> you're like, I hope that's not what I think it is. And as you walk down the hall of your rented room or re- rented house, you squoosh, squoosh, squoosh into something you did not want to know about. And all of a sudden, your well-laid-out plans have been interrupted by that little demon called your child. I told you not to eat that package of Twizzlers at midnight. They hit it anyway. I could go on and on with example after example, and you probably could too. The problem is that I usually handle these situations, I usually handle them poorly. I'm just going to be transparent here. Um, Sometimes I react with frustration. Sometimes I can get a little angry. And by the way, quit looking at me like that because I know you do too. Because I've heard your horn on South Florida Avenue. Sorry, I was going the speed limit. Don't honk at me, all right? Sometimes we react like a little kid and we want to stomp our feet and say, life's not fair. You know, I'll blame others for inconveniencing me. I'll look at that child and say, you've messed up our schedule. I'll look at a spouse and say, why now? I'll look at the inconveniences and say, why is this happening? And too often we throw our own pity parties with all of the difficulties that are happening in our life. And how quickly we forget that God may be hidden, but he's always working. And he's always at work, even in the midst of our struggles, even in the problems of our life. God is working behind the scenes to stretch me, to prepare me, to chisel me, to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. But the problem is, is we don't want to be stretched. We don't want to be chiseled. We don't want to be taught that. So God, please just let me enjoy my five days of vacation without any interruptions. 
And so often we throw our own pity parties and we forget about God. C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. Sometimes in the moments of our frustrations, in the heaviest of difficulties, we just need to be quiet to hear God shouting in the midst of our pain. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. And Naomi has totally forgotten that. Naomi is saying, God has dealt with me bitterly. Don't call me pleasant. There's not a pleasant bone in me. I am so bitter to the core right now. And that's where number three, we... We may be damaged by our past, but we can definitely be healed. You can almost sense the bitterness that is oozing out of Naomi, like a fresh scar letting out the infected pus of a recent wound. That was gross, wasn't it? I wrote that this week, and I thought, that's a gross statement. But you're right, bitterness is gross. In that statement, some of you were like, ooh, pus. But it's the word bitter that's the grossest. You see, bitterness gets down to the very core, and then it has this cause and effect. We want to excuse it because we have good reason. And the truth is, is there are stories of grace all around this auditorium, and your lives have been so damaged. Your lives have been hurt. You could tell us and show us the battle scars. And you may be looking and saying, this is nothing of my doing. This is the, I am suffering the consequences of somebody else's decision. I have two friends right now who live up north. And, and both of them, a guy and a girl, both of their stories are very similar. They have suffered through uh, infidelity in their marriages. And, um, and, and by God's grace, these individuals showed forgiveness. And then it happened again with somebody else. Now, these two people are not connected in any way. It just happens that I've got two friends, same city, same state, and they face the same story. And then again, so, so there, was, um, there was this thought of remorse and repentance and, okay, we can, we can work this out. And, and so there was, again, this, this movement of, of grace that, yeah, there was a lot of scars, there was a lot of damage, and, um, and they were moving forward, and then it happened a third time. I'm just thinking as I'm praying with them and, and counseling them and guiding them. And, and finally, pregnancy happens outside of the marriage. And finally, divorce is where it heads based on the other people's decision. And so as I talk to these two friends and pray with them and counsel them and, and walk through this with them, I'm reminding them, don't let bitterness take root in your life. And it's been a pretty incredible journey for both of them to see that there is no bitterness. Hurt? Yeah. Damage? Yes. Scars? Galore. Regrets? Probably so. But God's grace has healed them and continues to heal them to where they're finding renewal in Jesus Christ, where they're finding healing from God their Father, where they're finding stability again in their life. Oh, trust is probably out the window. How can they trust anybody ever again apart from God's grace? 
And so when I look at those stories, I think of in our lives, some of you have tragic stories to tell, and you may be damaged by your past, but you can be healed. Faith, Oswald Chambers said, faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. Wow. Brother Cham spoke a graduation service on Friday night, Thursday night, and he spoke a little bit about that. He spoke that the lessons that are important for us to learn may not be learned unless we go through the difficulties of life. You see, we can be healed through them, and God shapes us and helps us to be used by him to help somebody else later down the road. So we may be damaged by our past, but our past can be healed. Number four, verse 21 and 22, the last lesson here today, is that we will move from emptiness to fullness through God. Where Naomi is, is she's having her pity party. She's got the ladies surrounding her. They're saying, is that really you, Naomi? Where have you been? Is that really you? She says, don't call me Naomi. There's not a pleasant bone in my body. I'm like a recent scar infected with pus because I'm bitter. And here's what she says. It's because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Then she continues, verse 21. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call, ye, call me Naomi, seeing that the Lord hath t- testified against me or turned against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her. Hmm. Now what Naomi doesn't realize at this moment is that her emptiness is going to lead to fullness from God. You know, Naomi is right. She left Bethlehem full and she's returned empty. The crisis was not Elimelech's death. The crisis was that Elimelech led his family out of the will and way of God. That's the crisis. And now Naomi is suffering from the decisions that somebody else has made. And she is scarred from it. She is bittered by it. And she is saying, I was once full, now I am empty. And what she's going to learn soon is that she will be full in God again. And so it happens that way still today. What she doesn't realize is that and she is just footsteps away from not only knowing God in a better way, but his fulfillment of his line coming through her. Their emptiness will become fullness. God is going to provide for her lodging, for her meals, for her family line. Everything is going to be taken care of. It's just moments away. Someone once said, Don't doubt in the darkness what God has shown you to be true in the light. Don't doubt in the darkness what you know to be true in the light. Remember that God is faithful even in our darkest times. We do not know the outcome, nor do we know the duration, but we must always trust in God's work. Don't think that you can do this on your own, folks, because we can't. We can't do this on our own. Naomi's partner in Ruth was not what gave her the energy and focus to be able to face this, although Naomi would be a help or Ruth would be a help. Her emptiness was going to become fulfilled by God himself. And so our darkest moments, our difficulties of life, they need to be complete, have complete reliance on God and only God. 
the, the, um, the individuals in here who are followers of Jesus Christ, you find great comfort and confidence in that. You know that your dependency and reliance comes on your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's where you get your strength, your energy, and your focus. It's what pushes you forward tomorrow. It's what sustains you today. But today, if you're a seeker, if you're looking for something that's empty in your life and you're looking for some fulfillment, you say, I've come empty and looking for this fullness. Where is it going to come? And what ends up happening is, is we look for a lot of outside sources to fill the emptiness. And so we'll grab relationships quicker than quick. And, and, and we don't have to have love. Infatuation will work at that moment because we're just looking for some type of fulfillment and, and, and to get rid of our emptiness. Sometimes we turn to other sources and we try to use that to fulfill us. But if you do not have Jesus Christ in your life, today I'm here to remind you that Jesus loves you and he wants to be your savior. He wants to take your emptiness and bring you fulfillment. We were even reminded in the teachings through the gospel of John when Jesus said, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. Then he said, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You know what the little translation of that is? That you might live it to the fullest. He says, I want to give you life, and that you might live that life to the fullest. If the tragedy happens when you're taken away from this earth without knowing when that moment could be, what will you say when you get to the other side of eternity? Well, God, I sat in a pew on Sunday morning. I gave in the offering on a Wednesday night. God, I got baptized in a tank of water. God, I was a teacher, or I loved kids, or I was kind, and I was moral, and I was faithful to my spouse. There was nothing wrong with me until you come to the realization that he never knew you because you never had a personal relationship with him. So today is that invitation. The Bible tells us that God commendeth his love toward us. He demonstrated his love to us. How did he demonstrate his love? Not by just the words he would say but by the very act of sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. The verse says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's personal. The Bible tells us, for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the mouth confession is made, with the, with the heart you believe. And that moment can be today. So seeker, don't walk away empty. Walk away being full. Now, as we started the message at the very beginning, we all realized that we don't want to go through difficult times, but we still do. And at this point of the study, we're really wondering, is this all that this is about? No, it's not, because Ruth chapter 2 is going to introduce a 24-hour period of incredible blessing. The story has been built on the bad things one after another, as it is now going to continue to point to the faithfulness and loyalty of God. So these ladies are about to experience what they are going to describe as a God moment, a God movement. And the trying of our faith, it works patience. It develops this patience in us so that we become mature, that we can lack nothing in this journey. So the trying of our faith develops this patience. And so let patience have her full effect in you so that you can be complete, lacking nothing. The last thought is let difficulty develop depth in you today. Father, I thank you today for reminding us with the lessons that are learned by Ruth and Naomi 
one focus helped us to see that God is sovereign and steadfast and that uh, the scars of life can be healed. One helped us to see that they go from emptiness to fullness and that when you're hidden, you're always still at work. Father, I don't know how you want to deal in our hearts today as believers or followers of you, but I just pray that in these moments of application and invitation that you'd use this time to help us to take next steps in our spiritual life. In Jesus' name, amen.